Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Today I am reading Matthew chapter 18, 23 to 35. Therefore, a king, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owed me, he demanded. His fellow servants fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is God's word. Good morning, church. Good morning. I'm Kate. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the pastor of youth and families here, and it's a pleasure to be with you here this morning. I've been here for about two months, and uh, I have to say, I already feel like home. Um, I've been telling a few people this week, you know, every time I walk out of, like, a meeting with people from Upper Room, I just say to God, like, oh, God, thank you for sending me to this church, because some amazing things are going on here, and I've just felt so welcomed by all of you, so I want to thank you for that. Um, let's just pray before we start our time together. Lord God, I thank you so much for all that you are, Lord. I don't think I can say that enough, and I thank you for your word that you've given us to reveal um, who you are and what kind of life you have in store for us. And I just pray, Lord, that as we open your word today that our hearts would be soft and that um, we would take to heart what it is you have to say to us. I pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so as you heard from Daniel, we're exploring Matthew 18 today, and it's traditionally called the parable of the unmerciful servant. But I was on Friday kind of humming and hawing and saying, hmm, I need to find like a different name, uh, one that's maybe a little less familiar, you know, spice things up a bit. But I couldn't really land on one, and so I was texting my boyfriend, and I said, like, I didn't tell him what it was for, but I just said, hey, like, here are two titles. If you had to choose one, which would you choose? And uh, so he told me which one, and then I chose that one. And so that's the title that you will find in your bulletins. You can thank him partially for that. And this w is what it is. It is The Bitter Sweet Life. And it's called that because today we're going to talk about forgiveness. 
And I think that forgiveness can have both bitter and sweet aspects for us. And today I really just want us to jump heart first, maybe not head first, but heart first into this story. Because I think that ultimately forgiveness is not a matter of how we feel about a person. It's not even a matter of justice. Ultimately forgiveness is a matter of the heart. And so it's from my desire that we, you know, understand forgiveness in our hearts that I want to introduce you to our kind of main point for the day, and this is it. It'll come up on the screen. You can't truly forgive from your heart if you haven't been forgiven. You can't truly forgive if you haven't been forgiven. In other words, you can't give away what you don't have. Now, maybe not everyone here will agree with that. But I believe this because I believe that as human beings, we can't be infinitely or eternally forgiving of other people unless we know the God who is infinitely and eternally forgiving. It's just not possible. Forgiveness, at least for me, maybe I'm the only one, but forgiveness is just too hard, isn't it? Because there's crappy things that people have done that have hurt us, things that change people's lives drastically. It's hard. And I think also we live in a world that doesn't necessarily preach forgiveness as the best solution to life's problems. For example, you could take, you know, the movie Daredevil. It'll also come up. It's a movie that's entire theme is basically based on revenge. Or even the movie The Avengers. The very name of that movie implies a group that is taking vengeance on, for something. There's some shows, too. Uh, Pretty Little Liars is a show that's all about finding people's secrets and then holding it over their head to use it at the opportune time when it can hurt them the most. Maybe our uh, society teaches it a little more subtly, you know? Movie or shows like Gossip Girl or the show Revenge are about, you know, gossip, speaking behind people's backs, finding out their secrets to use against them, just like in, in Pretty Little Liars. Maybe it's giving them the silent treatment or just secretly harboring bitterness in our hearts. Our world, sometimes, more than others, treat, or preaches bitterness and unforgiveness rather than forgiveness. And friends, I think that ultimately, we give into the lie that that is the way, that is the answer, that is the best way to live. But it's not. And uh, I want to create a little graphic here to help me illustrate this point. But I think that we think that it's okay to harbor a little bit of bitterness in our hearts. It's okay to be a little bit angry or resentful towards someone. But ultimately, if you carry a little bit of bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart, bitter heart makes for a bitter Bart. <laughs> now, I'm not a huge fan of The Simpsons, um, but I do know that this Bart Simpson guy is a little mischievous and perhaps a little bitter. And so a little bit of bitterness in our lives can actually end up taking over our hearts and creating a bitter person. Does anyone here know what this is? Do you want to smell? Anyone want to smell? You want to smell? I can't come up there, can I? <laughs> Mmm, does that smell good? No, what does it smell like? Yucky. 
Yeah, I don't know. Some people like to put this stuff on their horseradish, or uh, sorry, that's what it is, on their roast beef. I'm not necessarily one of those people. But yes, this is horseradish. And it's funny because I feel like God, when he's preparing me to share a sermon, like teaches me about that for months in advance. It's happened every, almost every time I've spoken in a church. And so for the past few months, God has been teaching me about forgiveness and about bitterness. And I had this friend at my other church who, I guess we were talking about the subject one day, and she said, Kate, you know what I found out the other day? Like, God taught me this really cool thing about horseradish, this unique property of horseradish. You see, horseradish is a bitter vegetable that grows um, via underground shoots, or like roots, basically. And it grows really fast, and if left undealt with, it can become invasive. And so if you're a gardener and you want to grow some horseradish, because I don't know, maybe you love horseradish with your roast beef, uh, we won't judge you for that here because we're preaching on forgiveness today. I'm just kidding. Um, but maybe you do, and so you, you plant some horseradish, and then the next year you decide, you don't want, you got too much, you have jars left from last year, you don't need horseradish anymore. So you dig it all out, and you're going to plant other stuff. But the thing about horseradish is that if you do not get every piece of that horseradish out of your garden, even the littlest bit spreads, and it goes unnoticed. It's underground. And then all of a sudden, you're like, I have this garden full of bitter horseradish. Friends, it's the same with bitterness in our hearts. We can let the littlest bit of bitterness go unnoticed, go unattended to, and we probably won't even know that it's creeping into our heart and spreading. But then one day, this happened to me actually when I was in grade 12, someone hurt me and I was very bitter. And then one day, my best friend turned to me and she said, Kate, like, I don't know what's going on with you lately, but you have this, like, angry thing going on that, like, I don't really like. And she was my best friend. She'd never really said anything like that to me before. All she had ever said about me was good stuff. And I was like, hmm, okay. I actually got mad at her at first, but then later I was like, hmm, okay. <laughs> but friends, it's because a little bit of bitterness in our hearts will turn us into a bitter Bart. Not only this, but, I mean, I don't know if any of you can smell this while you're over there, but I remember one time I walked into a dinner party and I knew exactly what we were having for dinner, not because I could smell the scrumptious smell of the roast beef that was cooking in the oven, but because I could smell the horseradish that was sitting on every table. It's strong. It's contagious. As I said, it spreads. Bitterness spreads. And I think we can feel that in relationships, can't we? I mean, you don't need to be a Christian to see that bitterness has a negative effect on relationships. Make someone sour. You don't really want to be around them all the time. Not because they're not a fun person, but just they have this attitude about them. Maybe you tiptoe around them fearing that they'll judge you or that you'll do something and they'll hold that against you. And you feel like you can't really be yourself around them. Maybe some of you know someone like this. Maybe you are someone like this. And I think secretly we hold on to bitterness while also knowing that if we do, it can systematically destroy not only our lives but every relationship we have. Deep inside we all know that bitterness is a dangerous and evil habit. It's a joy sucker. 
Bitterness destroys our own joy, and then it slowly sucks the life out of our relationships. But we hold on to it. Why? Because despite what the world says, bitterness will not fill us. Bitterness will not make us happier. It won't heal. It will only hurt us more. And that is what is happening in this story today of the unmerciful servant. This man received forgiveness, but it didn't really change him. Instead, he let his bitterness towards his other servant fill his heart, and he went out and he choked him and put him in jail. And when I look at this story of the unmerciful servant, um, and I've been talking about it with people over the past few weeks, one thing kept coming up, and it was this emphasis that Jesus puts on the amounts that each of the servants was forgiven. The first servant owes about 10,000 bags of gold, or some translations say 10,000 talents. Now, kids, many of us were here, like when, was it VJ who talked about the parable of talents? <laughs> yeah, does anyone remember what a talent is? No? Good, okay, because I'm going to remind you. <laughs> so a talent was basically a sum of money. It was the largest sum of money known in those days, and it equaled about 20 years' wages. So this guy owed 10,000 bags of talents. So he owed $10,000 worth of 20 years' wages. So in today's terms, say like, and that was for a day laborer, so like maybe someone who makes makes minimum wage. So in today's terms, if you make, you know, I don't know, what's minimum wage now, like $10.25, $11? Say it's $10.25. If you owe 10,000 bags of talents, that's $4.2 billion. I think, that, like, that's how much money he owed. And his master didn't just say, okay, well, I'll give you more time to pay it back. That would have been, I think, agreeable. Okay, yeah, I'll give him more time. He forgave it completely. He lost, by forgiving this guy, $4.2 billion. Today, that's a lot. I can't even imagine how much that would have meant back then. I mean, even if you're like Steve Jobs or Floyd Mayweather, does anyone know who Floyd Mayweather is? Yeah, I just learned about this guy because uh, we were looking up the Forbes highest paid athletes. And Forbes, or... Um, Floyd Mayweather is a boxer who makes like $600 million a year, um, just in salary and winnings, not even like with endorsements or anything. He doesn't get paid by Nike to wear their shorts or shoes. And even for him, that would be seven years salary. I don't know about you guys, but I would not want to give up seven years salary, especially not if I had lent that to someone else and then they, I said, well, no, no, you don't have to pay me back. And I only work part-time, but... It's still quite a bit of money. So he's forgiven $4.2 And yet he goes out and demands a small amount, 100 bags of silver or 100 denarii, which in that day was about a day's wages. 100 days' wages. So if you want to translate that to today's money, that's about 8000 He goes and demands $8,000 from his fellow servant. And I think, why? After you've been forgiven 4.2 billion, why would you even need 8,000? What's the big deal? But I think that in this story, there are three problems with this servant, the unmerciful servant. The first one is this. He didn't take to heart just how much he himself had been forgiven. 
he diminished the severity of his own debt. Second, he increases the severity of his fellow servant's debt. Clearly, that $8,000 was still a big deal to him because he, like, grabs this guy and chokes him and then throws him in jail. It's pretty severe. And then finally, perhaps, like many of us or like the world teaches, maybe he thought that bitterness was the answer. Maybe he thought that revenge would bring him fulfillment and happiness. But friends, there's no such thing as sweet revenge. Do you want to know why I think the unmerciful servant went out after being forgiven this $4.2 billion and couldn't forgive 8000 I think that he didn't understand the magnitude of the forgiveness that had just been extended to him. He just doesn't seem like a very humble guy. I mean, the story doesn't really say what he did right after other than going out and demanding that money from his fellow servant. But it definitely doesn't say he went out and rejoiced. It doesn't say he thanked his master. It doesn't say he went out praising and telling everyone about what had just been done. It doesn't seem like he was very happy at all. And then he goes out and attacks his other servant and throws him in prison because he owes him $8,000. And I mean, I, I guess he doesn't see anything wrong with that, but even his other servants look at that and they are horrified. They even know it's terrible. And we, reading this story, can see that it's terrible. But I wonder if sometimes we read this story and we judge the unmerciful servant's actions without considering that maybe we are him. Because I think it's easy for us to sit outside the context of a story that Jesus tells and judge the person. I think it's Sometimes we need to ask ourselves, what character am I really in this story? Because I think we often see ourselves as victims. We say, yeah, someone's done that to me. Even a Christian's done that to me. We, are sel- we see ourselves as the one who suffers and not the one who invokes the suffering. And I'm not saying that none of us suffer. I mean, every single person in this room has had to forgive someone else for something. And for some of you, that thing is very grave. But I think we need to do what this unmerciful servant didn't do and consider how great is God's forgiveness of us versus our forgiveness that we need to offer to others. Because Satan does the same thing to us that happened to this man in the story. Satan tries to diminish our own sin in our own eyes. He tries to raise the perceived severity of other sins against us. And he tries to fool us into thinking that revenge or bitterness and resentment will make us happy. And we're prideful, and we believe him. Friends, if we're not grounded in the truth of God, that we are all sinners and fall short, then we will be just like the unmerciful servant. A true and constant forgiveness from the heart will not be possible for us. We need to remember that the wages of sin is death. We need to remember exactly what it is that God has saved us from. We won't forgive others if we don't take into consideration exactly 
what it is that our Father in heaven has forgiven us from and how great that debt was. We need to give up this tendency to think that other people's sin is worse than our own. We need to give up on the empty promise of bitterness and revenge and step into the promises of a forgiving God. The only way that we can ever forgive as Jesus is calling us to forgive, the only way that we can ever forgive the horrible and ugly things that have been done against us is if we remember that God has forgiven us more than we will ever be asked to forgive someone else. He forgives a lifetime of sin for every human being. And it cost him so much that his son sacrificed his life and died on a cross, a death that we deserved. And we're asked to forgive 8,000. Forgiveness, even when you're a Christian, will still be messy. I'm not going to lie. Because, as I said, forgiveness means that we have to sacrifice something. It means that we incur someone else's debt. That master, he shouldn't have had to pay that. He lent something to someone else and never got it back. When we forgive, we extend grace to someone else. We say that we are willing to incur the debt that their sin incurred on ourselves. It's messy. Sometimes it hurts. Probably all the time. But I think we do it because that is what has been done for us on the cross by Jesus. He took our sin and shame and punishment upon himself. And so we can find comfort in the fact that God is not asking us to do something that he has not already done. He's not asking us to incur a debt that he has not already incurred. He is not detached from the issue of forgiveness. He knows intimately what it means to forgive, and he is well acquainted with the costs and risks involved. He knows that even if you forgive, someone might not accept it, like this servant. He does it anyway. I fear for us, friends, if we are like the unmerciful servant, who we ask God for forgiveness and then turn around and refuse to offer forgiveness to others. I fear for us who forget the weight of our own sin and augment the sin of others. I fear for those of us who give into the lie that Satan and the world tell that revenge is the answer. I fear for a church that is full of people who don't forgive. John Piper, maybe some of you have heard of him, he's a really great Christian preacher and writer, says this, The greatest risk we face as the church in these days is not that we may lose a pipe organ or we may lose money or members or we may lose staff or even our reputation. The greatest risk is that we may lose heaven because one way to lose heaven is to hold fast to an unforgiving spirit and so prove that we have never been indwelt by the spirit of Christ. Holding fast to an unforgiving spirit proves that we do not trust Christ. If we trust him, we will not spurn his way of life If we trust him, we will not be able to take forgiveness from his hand for our million-dollar debt and withhold it from our ten-dollar debtor. For the church, for believers, eternity is at risk. 
not because God's love comes with conditions that he will only forgive you if you forgive someone else, but because if we cannot forgive others, it calls into question whether we have actually ever known truly the grace of God in the first place. Bitterness can also put the whole mission of the church in jeopardy. Not just for ourselves, it doesn't just ruin our own relationships, but it's dangerous for the church. Hebrews 12 says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. If the church is bitter, then how are we to be holy as God is holy? And if we are not seeking to be holy, then how is it that the world will seek God? If the body of Christ, the church that says it is redeemed by his blood, is rooted in bitterness instead of love and forgiveness, then it is not a church that proclaims the good news of Jesus. Friends, the church cannot be the church without forgiveness. It can't. It must be built upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so I want to put forth to you today that bitterness is not the best way for us. It's not the best way for anyone, no matter what you believe. God's way is the best way. And I say this to my youth, or I said it to my youth at Valview, and I'll probably say it to the youth here over and over again, because I think we, especially when you're a youth, why all these rules, Pastor Kate? Why can't I just have fun? And I say, God's rules are not there to keep us from having fun. They're not there even to test us or hurt us. They're there because God knows what is the best possible life and he knows how we can get it. He knows that his way is the best possible way. And when we forgive, the message of the church can ring clear. The mission of the church will not be thwarted because people will begin to see that there is a God out there who is full of love and redemption and forgiveness and kindness. And how do they know that? Because the people that follow him emulate that. I wonder what would happen if we forgave one another. Hold nothing back. Maybe we'd see healing, reconciliation, unification. Charles Spurgeon said this about forgiveness. To be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison with it. But yet there is one thing sweeter still, and that is to forgive, as it is more blessed to give than to receive. So to forgive raises a high... So to forgive rises a stage higher in experience than to be forgiven. Forgiveness is harder than bitterness, let's be honest, in the short run. But in the long run, it's actually easier, and it tastes better. It's sweet and soothing, like honey. How many of you, if you had to choose, would take a spoonful of this every day of your life over a spoonful of this? Forgiveness is sweeter and it's soothing. We take honey when we're sick because it soothes our throats. And it's sticky. It's like very sticky. You don't want to get that on your hands. 
Because just like bitterness, forgiveness is contagious. When we forgive, it brings joy. We don't have to live in this sour state of resentment anymore. And it releases us and others to live in freedom. And I think forgiveness also inspires transformation, doesn't it? I mean, I can remember times, many times, for my parents, who, my lovely parents who are here today, hi, <laughs> have forgiven me for things. And I, maybe I didn't even ask for forgiveness, but they did it anyway. And I remember one time in particular where I came to them and I had really messed up and I asked them for forgiveness and I was expecting a lot of yelling and they just forgave me. And they actually took a debt that I had incurred and they paid it. And I still remember that to that ver this very day. And that made me never want to have to go to my parents and say I'd done something like that ever again. And I think, I hope it's that way with God. That we say, God, thank you so much for how much you've forgiven us. I never want to hurt you again. And I think when we forgive others, they get this feeling of like, I didn't expect that. It's overwhelming. I'm kind of crying up here. And it inspires us to not want to hurt that person again. In Romans, it says that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. Forgiveness actually carries people to the point where they are willing to turn from the things that they have done wrong. It's sweet, not sour. It isn't a poison that slowly leaches the joy out of our lives. It is a soothing balm. And so I just want to tag one more thing on the end of this as we wrap up our time together. To forgive also means that we refuse to be helpless victims. I think some people think that forgiveness is the weaker choice, that the strong thing to do, the just thing to do, is to get revenge, but that's wrong. To forgive is to consciously choose and to be empowered to take someone's debt as your own. It takes much more character and strength to forgive than to hold a grudge. And we are not alone when we do this. We are empowered through the Holy Spirit because the God who is infinitely forgiving lives in us and empowers us to be transformed ever more increasingly into his likeness. So that means forgiveness gets easier the more we do it. And so we don't do it on our own, friends. We don't forgive in isolation. God is always there to help us. And so we can build our lives as forgiving people, not on how we feel about a particular person in a particular situation, but on the truth of God and on a humble reflection of the grace that he has given us through his son, Jesus. So here are my two questions for you to take home and think about today. Number one, are you harboring bitterness and or resentment towards yourself and your own sin? Because I think the first step in forgiveness is you have to meet the God who's forgiven you. And I think that means that we realize how deep our sin is and we mourn over that and we ask for forgiveness for him. And so maybe you haven't been there yet and you need to meet the God who has forgiven you and you need to forgive yourself for the things that you've done. And then the second question is, 
Are you harboring bitterness or resentment towards someone else and their sin? And again, I think we need to ask ourselves, why? If we are doing that, why? We need to remind ourselves of the God who has forgiven us. And we need to put into perspective what others have done against us. And we need to say, as I have been forgiven, I will forgive. We're going to do communion in a few minutes. And you're going to have the chance to um, remember what God has done for you. And so I love if you would take that opportunity to just sit before you partake and reflect on the grace of God. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your gifts to us, Lord. And I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, and that he is such an incredible picture of what it means to forgive and what it means to sacrifice and what it means to take someone else's punishment upon ourselves. And Lord, I just pray that you would unharden our hearts and you would turn us towards you and that we would know what it means to become like your son, Jesus Christ, Lord. And that we would seek to forgive, not only because we know that it's the better way, but also because we submit to the authority of Christ. We want to be faithful servants, not unmerciful ones. We want to obey when he says, forgive as you have been forgiven. I pray that we would be a church that does that, Father. In the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. It's not from a position of powerlessness that we're asked to forgive. It's because Christ has risen from the grave and because we are one with him. And Satan and death and sin and unforgiveness don't win. We do. When we forgive, we are saying to Satan, no, victory is in Christ, not in bitterness, not in unforgiveness. So if someone came to mind today during our time together that you need to extend forgiveness to, don't wait. Do it now. May you be blessed as you go.